This week on the Road to Cinema podcast, a look inside the Robin Williams hit comedy Mrs. Doubtfire with screenwriter Randy Mayhem Singer. Visit jogroadproductions.com to get more information on Road to Cinema. You can subscribe to Jog Road Productions on YouTube to watch our Road to Cinema video series with Don Cheadle, Ewan McGregor, Greta Gerwig, Moon Zappa, and many more. Follow us on Twitter at Jog Road, Instagram at Jog Road Productions, like our Facebook page, Jog Road Productions, and don't forget to write us a nice review on the iTunes podcast page under the Road to Cinema podcast. And now we join screenwriter Randy Mayhem Singer as we take a look inside Mrs. Doubtfire and the craft and career of being a screenwriter. You can also follow Randy Mayhem Singer on Twitter at R Mayhem Singer with a link in our podcast description. So I thought maybe we could talk about the uh, the UCLA screenwriting class that mm-hmm. you took initially and sort of what that experience was like. And that sort of led into the screenwriting competition that you entered into. It did. I um, My radio career brought me to L.A. and I had always been an avid film lover. So I looked for a class to see, hey, maybe, maybe I could write a screenplay. Uh, when I was younger, I hadn't really thought about writing screenplays. I don't think it occurred to me that, that anyone wrote them. I just loved movies and I loved writing. So yeah. um, I stumbled into a really wonderful teacher, Al Brenner, who passed away a few years ago. Um, and his class was, I think, 12 weeks, basically to get the basic structure down, a very basic, you know, who's the main character, what do they want, what's standing in their way, what are the act breaks, and how does yeah. it end? And... He then invited some of us into a private workshop that was held at his home. And from there, that was about probably two and a half years I was in there. I finally got the outline approved by him. Oh, that was within and that workshop? Within the workshop that was not through UCLA, but it was just some people who had taken his courses. Yeah. Um, and I found myself writing this screenplay called A 22 Cent Romance, which was based on the price of postage at the time. It's gone up a little bit. It would now be an email romance, so, you know. Um, and he submitted it. He called me up one day and he said, you know, uh, Diane Thomas um, Diane Thomas had written Romancing the Stone and Jewel of the Nile and had died in a car accident a few years earlier on PCH in a Porsche that 20th Century Fox gave her. Uh, was it true that she was like discovered as like a waitress or something? She was, was working that... at Mattel. Uh, she may have been waitressing also, but she took a UCLA extension course. Uh, so Steven Spielberg and Michael Douglas and Robert Zemeckis and James Brooks and all these incredible people put this competition together to have an award for a second career writing student, which is what most UCLA Extension students are, because that's what she was, and that's what I was. And and they were the judges, and Kathleen Kennedy, and Norman Kurland of the the former agency, Broder Kurland Webb, who was Diane Thomas's agent. So I, my writing teacher, Al Brenner, called me up one day and he said, I want to submit your script for this. They're starting this award program, and is that okay? And I said, yeah, and then I promptly forgot all about it. And then I found out I was a finalist, and then I you know, went to this big banquet, and uh-huh. Michael Douglas, who I might not have mentioned, who was also one of the judges, because he was yeah. the star of Romancing the Stone. He produced it. Uh, and too. Yes, yeah. and um, handed me the award, and the next day was like, uh, I don't know if you ever saw that movie, The Big Picture. Oh, yeah, the Christmas Kevin Guest. Bacon. Yeah. Yes, it was <laughs> like that. It was crazy. It, it, um, 
It sold in a bidding war to Orion Pictures for Dennis Quaid to star in. Mm. Orion went bankrupt. It had already kind of gotten into development hell, so yeah. it never got made, but it led to other work, and I've been really fortunate to work ever since. There there haven't been two... The award program, the Diane Thomas Award, went on for a few years, and there may be a couple of other people who kind of launched a career out of it, but, but not as many as you'd think, so... Uh, was that kind of the beginning of screenwriting competitions? Or was no, that, I don't, uh, you know, I don't know. I'm sure, I think the Nichols existed. I think NYU Film School had them, yeah. and USC Film School had them. I think it was one of the first non-undergraduate competitions, mm -hmm. and, and I think that it may have, you know, drawn some more interesting screenplays because there were, there were people from... You know, in their twenties, thirties, and forties, people had writing. more life experience. Yes, in a exactly. Way. Yeah. Um, and uh, but again, the idea was to give a start to somebody who was doing something else. So I wanted to go back to Mrs. Doubtfire. So uh -huh. that was a writing assignment, and that was that owned by Fox, the novel yeah. at the time. It was owned by Fox, and they were looking for a writer. And I, I had heard they had met with a lot of writers, and hadn't heard what they wanted to hear. And I, you know, the, the. Children's book was very um, little known, if at all, in the United States. It was published in Britain, and uh, a company, Catalina Productions, the actor Gregory Harrison's company from years ago, had optioned the book, and it had been at UA, I think, and had now, at this point, moved to Fox. And uh, so this has been around for quite a while. Um, it it had only been it had been around for a couple years, maybe okay. a year and a half or so. I read it, and I just thought. Well, this is such a movie. I was always a big fan of Tootsie and Some Like It Hot, but this yeah. was the guy puts on a dress for a really universal, relatable reason to be with his kids. So I thought, you know, I went in there with just a really universal appeal, kind of, I think, kind of um, take on it and what had to change. And, and were you looking at it to be a modern story when you were pitching it too? It, it's a, it was a, it was a, current day story in the book. The book was different in that it was very, very British. The The character played by Robin Williams, Daniel Hillard, was a stage actor who was always unemployed, and the character, Mrs. Doubtfire, was a stage character that he had played. And all he does in the book, and keep in mind it's a children's book, is put on some mascara and some rouge and some lipstick and a wig and go ring his wife, ex-wife's Doorbell. So it wasn't this elaborate no, outfit no, that no. Robin Williams had on the film. No, because you can't, you couldn't do that on a in a book. You you know you're looking at it. So and it's for kids and yeah, you have to suspend disbelief that she's going to recognize him. So that had to be solved, and there wasn't a, there weren't a lot of sort of movie set pieces in the book. Um, it was a really dark book, really. Um, People can't believe when I say this, but like the character Robin played would be carving, uh, would he'd have his kids over for tea and he would be slicing them a piece of bread and he would imagine that it was her neck. <laughs> and this was a children's book. Yes. <laughs> well, I think a young adult book. Wow. Yeah. Um, in the book, they are they've been divorced for a long time and this has, it's been an ongoing issue that they're having fighting about custody and yeah. so it didn't really have an inciting incident. Um, it didn't have it didn't have a, a lot of things that are that came in the movie that were 
sort of needed to be there. But he also, his side job, if you remember in the movie, he gets a job at a TV station. Yeah. In the book, he already had a job, nude modeling for an, a drawing art class. <laughs> and picture that, Robin Williams. Like, yeah. um, that, was, that was being held at an art school, but, but his next door neighbor in his marriage was in the art class and the art school was being painted, so the art class ends up being held temporarily at his next-door neighbor's house. So he had a moment where he was going back and forth from being Mrs. Downfire with the kids at his house to being naked and being painted or charcoal drawn at his neighbor's house. <laughs> and that was how he got caught, much like the restaurant scene in the movie. With yeah. There was no Pierce Brosnan character. I ran into Pierce Brosnan last night, so this is so weird. Oh. <laughs> How did you run into Pierce Brosnan? Um, I was at the Van Morrison concert. Oh, and, wow. And he was there, too. So that was... So a good concert? It was great, yeah. Yeah, yeah it was great. <laughs> what so. was it like to meet Pierce Brosnan after all those years? Did he uh, have any recollection of the movie? Oh, yeah. yeah. It wasn't the first time. I ran into him at, waiting to go into a meeting at Revolution or Village Roadshow or somewhere years yeah. ago. Um, he's absolutely charming and wonderful and adorable, and um, I told him how much I'd liked everything he had done where he wasn't quite a yeah. good guy since then. <laughs> that was like, was that right before James yes, Bond? Yes, it was. Yeah, so yeah. that was, he didn't have that image to himself in a way. It helped him, I think, because yeah. he, he had been doing Remington Steel, and they wouldn't let him out of uh, his contract to do James Bond, and he had uh, to give up James Bond, which I don't think was a happy time, and then he did Mrs. Doubtfire. And, then, and, and shortly after, they wouldn't let him out of Remington Steel to do James Bond. Remington Steel was canceled. Mm. Then he did Mrs. Doubtfire, and then I may have this slightly askew, but he did end up doing James Bond after that. So I like to think that Mrs. Doubtfire helped him yeah. James Bond, but I don't, <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> so what, at what point in the process was Robin Williams attached, and when were you sort of writing for... Uh, Such a great question. Yeah. How did I leave that out? Shockingly and rarely... Robin Williams was attached from before I came on. Interesting. He was uh, interested if he liked the script, because that's all that attached. So there was no script, no script when Robin Williams came on? Well, that's very rare for like an actor to well, they, commit. Well, they don't commit. They're just attached. Ah. Um, so here I am. It's my first project, and the actor who's attached likes my script and says yes. So I go about my whole career <laughs> thinking that's a normal thing. That is not a normal thing. It's usually... Ten actors down the so, line. So attached just means yeah, you know, like, if, if they like it, yes. they'll do it officially like on paper. That's what it means yeah. often before there's a script. If there's a script and someone's attached, it, means, it usually means they like the script and now let's get a director or let's see if the studio's ready to push the button. But what it meant when I came on was that you know, he was interested. So I wrote it with him in mind. I really studied his cadence. and yeah. um, Although I have to say... I. And I tell people this, I pictured Mrs. Doubtfire speaking much faster. I, I had more of, you know, Good Morning Vietnam or any Robin Williams comedy, the speed with which he speaks. And I kind of love that he slowed it down and made it um, more Scottish. But I didn't meet him until, you know, I, I, well, many drafts were done. And um, I found him to be absolutely lovely and generous and warm and you know he's a was an amazingly generous person he really was and i also would be remiss if i told any mrs downfire story without leaving out the fact that i was the first and last writer on the movie in the middle 
we we had a little dispute about the ending and the studio wanted their was was heading toward having them get back together and i didn't think that i could do that it was a very amicable parting and they later brought me back yeah but uh and it did end with an it did end with them sort of not getting back together there's a maybe they will maybe they won't in the voiceover but the book was written to help kids deal with divorce and it just seemed so irresponsible to me yeah. to have a Hollywood happy romantic comedy ending and I just couldn't I think the greater point was just that they were getting along co-parenting yeah it, it wasn't that yeah. they were getting back together you know it's learning to co-parent and do the right thing for your kids when you get divorced like to me to give that up was just sacrilege like to turn and to turn away from that ending was yeah. just and I'm so glad. I mean, that's thank you to Robin Williams and Chris Columbus because they supported the ending that uh, that I wanted, that the book had, that the project started with. It's very rare that a, a children's movie or a comedy like that would deal with divorce. You know, usually that's sort of shied away from. That's why Anne Fine wrote the book. I, I've never met her, but I'm, I'm, I'm certain that she wanted to let kids know that it wasn't their fault if their parents treated each other that way in front of them yeah. and um, there was a scene that I consider the climax of the movie that was actually edited out where after the scene in the restaurant they really have it out and uh, they say she says I hate you and he says I hate you too or the other way around and Nat uh, Natalie the little girl played by Mara Wilson is watching from upstairs and says I hate you both and it was kind of gut-wrenching, and they look, the look on their faces is, it's kind of the moment, the blind spot is removed, like, <clears throat> we can't yeah. do this to our kids. And, they, and, it, and it was shot, and I think they, they took, I think my connection at the studio told me it was too heavy, that it just didn't need to be, I'm like, you edited out the climax, <laughs> you understand that that's the climax of the movie, but you don't need it, but, you know, I can't complain, it, it still worked. Yeah. He still felt it, I guess. Um, yeah, no, I thought his performance in a lot of those scenes, you know, when he's not in the makeup, was mm -hmm. you know really grounded and interesting. Mm -hmm. Robin Williams is a dramatic actor. I always thought was yeah. top of the line. I know. You know, people always thought he was so gregarious and had all this energy, but when he was really focused on a scene, uh, you know, if you look at like Goodwill Hunting, yes. at Poet Society, and uh, Moscow on the Hudson. I agree, and he doesn't outlive in the dramatic scenes at all, or he didn't. I, you know, he pretty much stuck to the script. If it was kind of a comedic moment, he would, he would yeah. salt and pepper some stuff in there and start seeing which of the stuff needed to stay and which didn't kind of work his way back to the script. But um, I, I love him in the dramatic scenes. The scene where, he, where she goes to the TV studio and watches him film a Mrs. Doubtfire episode and then they talk standing across from each other on the stage. I think they they felt that that kind of took the place of the other scene, it didn't need both. Because um, the the pain is there of, you've taken my yeah. kids away from me, they think I'm like some kind of pervert. But I guess it doesn't have like that heaviness that they didn't want in a sense, or the... Uh... It, it, it didn't have the moment in front of the kids. Yeah. Like that, uh, you know, to me, that kind of really was gut-wrenching, but it still it still worked. I could pick apart so I'm tons of it, but I can't really because it's been really great for me. We know I don't think anybody expected the movie to become what it did, and you know it's I I and that there's things about it that I think are too broad or too silly or that wouldn't really happen, and I tend to yeah. I 
tend to like comedy that's more grounded, although I've sort of had more of my career writing magic and fairies and genies and talking animals and stuff like that. So, but I think I come at it from a grounded place. Yeah. So, um, no, it was a, it was an amazing experience. Um, you know, it really was. But, uh, going back to that first time that you met Robert Williams, what was his take on the Mrs. Doubtfire character and also just how he wanted to approach it? Did he have any notes for you as far as maybe like collaborating with him or... He did. Anything. We well, we had a, we had a lunch at Mr. Chow in Beverly Hills, which I will never forget. With this Elizabeth Gabler from Fox, maybe somebody else from Fox. Um, Robin's wife at the time, who was a producer, or I guess they both attached themselves as with their production company. And sadly, I don't remember the specifics of that. That was our last big meeting before I went off to do his notes. Yeah. And I, if it was, I, and I don't have a copy of, I took notes or I recorded it, I don't remember. But what I remember is that he would go from being very, like we're talking now, very serious and articulate, to getting up out of his chair and using the entire space around the table to like be Mrs. Doubtfire. And in like a crowded restaurant. In, a, in Mr. Yeah. Chow and everybody in that place was so delighted and I was having an out-of-body experience because I was the person he was addressing. Like, <laughs> I was pinching myself. And he was, um, you know, he listened thoughtfully. He considered everything that I said and sort of gave me back a vision of the character in his voice that then helped me kind of see him in the role. But he hadn't really found that Scottish accent yet, and he hadn't, you know... He hadn't quite nailed what he was going to do with the character yet, but and then I spent some time with him on the set, and um, I have a picture of him holding my then nine-month-old baby in costume. So he was kind of doing a whole nanny rant with my <laughs> child, Carrie, who's now in his early twenties, um, and that was cr that was really 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 exciting. And I had. Um, other memories of him after the movie, like in some of the publicity and the, the premiere, um, he was just kind and and thoughtful, and um, it was just such a devastating day when yeah. I heard about his death. I still can't quite grasp it. It's, mm -hmm. but um, he was a real person. I remember thinking at Mr. Chow, wow. If he didn't become Robin Williams, he would be a homeless person. Because I couldn't see him sitting in a cubicle or a desk job. I could yeah. not see that ADD comedy mind of his, like, finding another outlet for a profession. Couldn't picture it. Yeah, I mean, he's just such, like, a, a unique presence and he had that energy. That mm -hmm. just, you know, when you see his stand-up, you can see that, too. He can go off on such tangents and do all these impressions and... He did a few, like, um, there's a moment in the movie where he's got the, uh, the Mercedes emblem from Pierce Brosnan's character's car, and he goes into a rant about how, you know, the, that kind of car is making up for other shortcomings, and he went into a whole thing that wasn't, that might, there might have been one of those lines in the script, yeah. and he, he, you know, to see him do that Robin Williams thing in a dress with a wig, with prosthetics, with an accent, it was like... Um, and there were other actors who who um, 
who wanted that role, who put them like even after Robin Williams was he was uh, attached, attached and it was just lean leading toward that green light. But I have a letter in my file from the manager of several other people at the time, like Steve Martin and Billy mm-hmm. Crystal, to Elizabeth Gabler at Fox saying he wanted his <laughs> clients for that for that role too. I mean, here I am, like, I'm, like, okay, five years old, right? So yeah. here I am, like, <laughs> I wrote this script where this guy was attached that was a megastar, yeah. and it's going to, and the head of Fox at the time, Joe Roth, read the draft on the plane, and I think you might have called Elizabeth Gabler from the plane because she was the executive that developed it, or as soon as he yeah. landed. She's still at Fox, I think. She said Fox Gabler, 2000, yeah. and I remember her saying that he said, if this isn't a movie, I don't know what is. I... You know, it must have been surreal. Too. Surreal, yeah, yeah. And again, I sometimes wish that it had happened later in my career, but uh, I'd rather it happened at all. <laughs> Why would you say you wish it would have happened later? Um, okay, I think that um, I might have I might have appreciated it more, although I truly did. I don't know that I have ever developed the work ethic that I would like to have because it it came quite easily to me in a weird way. I, not, I mean, I worked really hard on that script I, that, that won the Diane Thomas Award. I spent three years on it, and I think I, I chose the right story to tell for my voice, mm. and it hit a nerve because it was uh, a quirky romantic comedy, and it was a few years after Moonstruck. Everybody was looking for the next Moonstruck. So it, it the, you know, the chips fell it in the right place. It was kind of in the zeitgeist. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. Um, I, uh, I would have, I, you know, I don't know. I mean, I can't look a gift horse in the mouth, not to use a cliche, but I think I, I, I don't know. I just, I've always said that. I wish, I think it might have been good if it happened later, but maybe not. Uh, There's uh, probably others like that who, <laughs> you know, because I'm a neurotic writer and I always think things could be better a different way. Yeah. <laughs> uh, well, I just kind of wanted to go back to Mrs. Doubtfire a little bit. I was just curious, the look of Mrs. Doubtfire... Mm-hmm. Was that established in the script, or was that sort of a collaboration among Chris Columbus and Robin and, and you? Um, what was in the script was that he would have a brother who was a makeup artist, and that it would be a prosthetic, and that it would be that it would look real. Yeah. I didn't. I, you know, I probably described him as being, you know, the size he was because I knew we'd be adding boobs and a butt and a tummy and all that stuff. But mm. no, that was makeup tests. And I have and you know, as it is always, um yeah. I have a really great series of the makeup process. I'm so grateful that I have the wow. the um I don't know, somebody from Fox sent it to me and I witnessed a lot of it. It took three I mean, and a half like hours. The detail, the teeth mm-hmm. and the the facial yeah. uh, everything. I guess that's how it's yeah. done. I can't think of any other films, but it's that's how it's done. Uh, they did a great job. It won an Academy Award for, for makeup. Yeah. I, um, I hope I'm correct about that, but I'm 99. I think you are correct. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> um, because even on, on Tootsie, Dustin Hoffman really looked like a woman. Yes. But in Mrs. Doubtfire, the, like, the texture of the skin, because I think the character was older than yeah. Robin Williams, so yes. you really had to go into that detail. Yeah. Yeah, no, they did. And he went... Um, he went all over town in the Bay Area in drag to see, in, in the costume, in yeah. the makeup, to see what people, how they were going to react. I remember him telling me that. It was before I got there. And when it was shot in the Bay Area, and I lived down here, 
um, before they started shooting. But I remember him saying, nobody batted, nobody batted an eye. I wish that somebody had filmed that. If it were now, they <laughs> would be on YouTube. YouTube yeah, oh, for sure. Be part of the marketing of the film. Exactly, <laughs> yeah. And probably there is some film of it somewhere. Somebody's got to... Maybe on the DVD. I don't think so. No, no I don't think it is. But somebody's got to have it. We've lost a couple of the producers, the original producers in the movie have, have passed away. Even One before and one, one right after with Catalina Productions, the company that... Yeah. That originally optioned it, but um, yeah, I I would have loved to have seen that. <laughs> There's also a fun little trivia moment. Uh, Robin's double is in the movie. There's a scene where he's in the bathroom and he kind of gets caught. There's a guy in there like, why do you, I forget if he, is he he's coming out? He went in as a man. He's coming out as a woman. Yeah. And there's a guy in there who looks quite a bit like Robin Williams, and that's that's his double. Uh, <laughs> uh, well, I was curious, sort of your perspective on a screenwriter-director collaboration process. I mean, for mm -hmm. you on Mrs. Doubtfire, for example, um, you know, how deeply involved mm -hmm. were you with the director, if at all? Not very much at all. I had notes from Chris Columbus before the last draft that I did, and notes from Robin. Chris did a pass on the movie um, as a writer before he filmed it. Yeah, he doesn't have credit, but um, he you know, d did some things that were, you know, that worked. And uh, I was on the set there as a guest, you know, very much as a guest. I have been on sets of movies where my services have been, in, you know, requested as a writer. Yeah, some kind of tweaking dialogue yes, or yes, yes. fixing but things. But not in that case, in part because Chris is a writer himself, so... Is that tricky, though, when you're, you're on the set and they're shooting one of your scenes and, you know, you have been working on the script so long, I'm sure you have your own perspective on it, to not say anything, that must be very... It wasn't tricky then, because I was so new. It yeah. is very tricky now, although now more often if I'm on the set, I am, they do want to hear what I have to say. Um, by the time they shot Mrs. Downfire, I had the shooting script, I knew what they were shooting. So I, I, there really weren't any surprises. And Robin is such a force of nature that... Yeah, there were a few moments where I thought, no, that you just didn't get the timing. Right. Comedy is so specific timing-wise, um, but yeah, it 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 is hard, and I think it's foolish for directors not to have a writer on set because the the especially with a comedy, I think ninety percent because of if it's comedy, yeah. there are um, things that don't work on their feet, as we say, and there are opportunities on set that you didn't know when you were sitting in front of the computer. There are, there, there are opportunities in the staging and you couldn't have anticipated the staging or the props or certain um, abilities that the actor has that you didn't, that they cast that yeah. you didn't really see or the actor's voice or the cadence of, you know, the way the actor delivers a line. <clears throat> I definitely think that there's a weird relationship between writers and directors when it comes to features that, that you know, has made that difficult sometimes. And it, it, it's to the detriment of movies and especially to comedy. In television, it's the opposite. It's like theater. It's the writers. It's the yeah, writers. And the director's there just to serve the script, to serve the writers. Yeah, well, I mean, it's the director's set, yeah. but they are, they are answerable to the writer, to the showrunner. If something's not working you are you have the right and you're expected to say something you've got to let 
the director do their thing in the way that you've got to let actors do their thing, but um, comedy comedy needs writers around. I think that's why yeah. multicams have worked for so long because the writers have run-throughs and you know we can hear what the audience is reacting to and what they're not, and we can tweak it on the set. Um, yeah, I think that's the hardest thing about making a film comedy. Mm-hmm. Your only audience is the crew and the yeah. director and the other actors, and mm-hmm. you're in this little bubble. You're in a so bubble, and the crew really can't tell. laugh. Yeah, because they have <laughs> the sound to be... is going to get exactly. <laughs> so, it's re- it's really a lot of directors are foolish. A lot of comedies there's not, <clears throat> there's nothing worse than a comedy that isn't funny. Like a drama that's not dramatic is not as bad yeah. as a comedy that's not <laughs> funny. So they they should. You shouldn't feel threatened by having a writer on the set. I mean, Do you think it's like an ego yes. thing? Yes. Did so? I answer fast enough? <laughs> <laughs> and I don't know why. It's their, you know, it's their because set. Because at the end of the day, they're going to get the credit anyway. The system's so been set up so that yeah. it is the director's gig at that point. That's what it is. And uh, we've bought into this ridiculous French auteur theory, which is bogus. <laughs> unless it's a writer-director, then I totally think it is a film by. Yeah. But uh, the possessory credit, as we call it, is, is something a lot of writers are very sensitive about. Because yeah. how is it a film by if somebody wrote the script and somebody else directed it? Yeah, well, I think in like a general sense, too, a film by also like sort of trivializes all the other crew yeah. positions, production design, yes. cinematography, wardrobe. Exactly. Down the line. Exactly. You know, film is such a collaborative team effort. You yeah. know, how can you have a film without all those other elements in place? I could see so. if you're a writer director, <laughs> you you've yeah. got both those hats. I could see it, but otherwise, you have a director credit. You'd be happy. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Just my bias. <laughs> uh, would you, has it changed at all in other projects that you've worked on? I mean, you said like you've been invited to the set, like when you're doing like maybe a script doctoring mm-hmm. job and. Has it changed what exactly? In terms of collaborating with a director, if it's become any easier? It's or... still their call, though. If I'm there, yeah. it's still because they want me there. And, um, you know, more of my feature career, which I'm trying to make a change in this right now, has been doing assignments and rewrites and production rewrites. So I'm maybe I'm not dealing with my babies in the way that I would be if it was my original material, and I'm really trying to make a a change in that and do more original material. So um, I'm happy when they want me there, but if it's my script that I've written from scratch, I would be ecstatic that they want me there. And in fact, I hope to write and direct something, so I don't even have that, you know, that question isn't even even there because I've been doing this for so long. I feel like, you know, I I can help you. I I don't necessarily want to be a director, but if that's the way that I'm going to get it translated the way I see it, then, then I may have to do that at this late date because I've been, you know, yeah. not being a director for so long. But they're not my babies. They're usually projects that I, I'm, I'm uh, the last of many writers or a few writers or, you know, um, or it's a franchise like Chipmunks or, you know, any of the films I've worked on that my name is not on. Um, or Tooth Fairy, or, you know, it's not a... Any of those that you can talk about, or are those pretty um, uh, confidential? Not supposed to. 
You're not supposed to, because you're supposed to honor the uh, the credits as were yeah. given by the Writers Guild, <laughs> but a bunch of stuff. Some I'm happy to <laughs> some I'm happy to not have my name on. I w I'll say this, I've, and I've often joked about this. It seems like any time a man puts on a dress, my phone rings. <laughs> so <laughs> think about those. <laughs> uh, I was reading. I mean, before Robin Williams had passed away, there was some talk about a Mrs. Doubtfire yeah. too. Were, were you involved? I wasn't in that? involved. Uh, not with that last, uh, you know, installment. A writer whose name I forget apparently came up with a take that they liked. It's so hard because I couldn't really come up with one. Yeah. Everybody knows he's he's who he is. So why is he going to put on the dress? Yeah, he'll have to fool, like, some other people. Why? Yeah, else. and why? Yeah. He wants to be a job as a housekeeper? I So I don't know what the take was, but I know that it had gotten further along than in the past and it had been bandied about for many many years and um yeah i was surprised initially that there wasn't like a sequel uh sooner because i mean it was a yeah. huge hit but, but if you think about it it's a tough sequel yeah you know um it's a tough if it involves there being mrs Dalfour and daniel hillard and everybody know the whole the, yeah. you know um there is a lot of talk and has been a lot of talk about a broadway, broadway musical which I think it's tailor made for, and I hope that Harvey Firestein was gonna was gonna write the book at one uh, point. You could play that part too. That would be. Uh, I, it's gotta be somebody younger than that. Uh, I think it's gotta be. I, I love the idea of like Matthew Broderick or Justin Timberlake or Jack Black. Kind yeah, of names. I guess that, I'm so like uh, I imagine him in Hairspray so much. That was where that. Yeah, I mean yeah. he could. <laughs> play, no, I mean he's a guy. He's a guy with young kids, and I think it. it, it I hope it happens. I really do, because I think it'd be wonderful, and there's such a trend to make, you know, big commercial films into musicals. Mm -hmm. So I really, I really do hope it happens. We'll see. I was curious if you talk a little bit about um, the process of pitching when mm -hmm. you go into pitch. I mean, do you have something that's really kind of set in stone on paper, mm -hmm. or do you feel like you can kind of improvise in the room, so to speak? Oh, no, no, no. I prepare um, quite a bit for a pitch. I... Um, in the olden days, I think you used to be able to spitball, especially if you were like on the A-list, you know, and you'd go in and you could dazzle them with a few ideas, but not anymore. Maybe five, ten writers can do that. Yeah. But, uh, no, I usually have about a 20-minute, you know, here's the movie or here's the pilot, and now ask me about the series and I'll tell you what that's going to look like. I um, write it out. I memorize it. Do you rehearse it? Like, out loud at all? or I sometimes do. Not really. You know, that's one area where my radio background has come in so handy. <laughs> because I can have five pages of text in front of me. Yeah. And I can make it sound like I'm talking, not like I'm reading. That's what you do so in radio. So you're looking at the paper the whole time? When you I didn't look down at it and be reading it, but not sound at all like I'm reading at it. Uh -huh. If you heard me, you'd think I had no paper. That's from radio. Thank you, radio. <laughs> so... I usually have about 20 minutes. I think you can have too much. Um, in features, it's, you know, it's here's basically the movie. You know? I not mm, They want every scene now, but I still resist that. I think the more you give them, the more they can dislike. Yeah. But I have, you know, I tell the story in three acts. I give them set pieces. I give them trailer moments. Um, and in TV, I probably really do give them every beat of the pilot if I'm pitching it. Uh. So... I think that is one of the hardest things for a lot of writers because a lot of writers who are very talented, great writers, aren't comfortable in a room and 
some of us are and some of us aren't, but that that's such a part of it. I think you can... Did that skill for you grow over time? Do you think you were as... I think I probably was born with a little more of it than a lot of writers, but again, radio. Yeah. I've always had a little performer in me, so... I'm also taking an improv class starting tomorrow. Oh, that's great. Never done that. It's going to be me and all. What inspired you to uh, go just about doing that? bucket list. Just like, I want to be petrified and just... Probably see. helps you as a writer, too. Just that's what I'm thinking. thinking on your feet. And I'm thinking it might put a new... It might exercise a new muscle in my writing in a similar way that Twitter has, actually. Yeah. In making 142-character jo- political jokes. I, I'm just trying... I'm just kind of trying different things and yeah. see what... I've always wanted to do it. I may drop the class, like, after one <laughs> session. And I'm sure, you know, it's going to be... I'm going to be the weirdest, most out of place. Is this your person. first acting class uh, ever? As an adult, yeah. Wow. I did in high school a little bit, but... <laughs> yeah, as an adult, yeah. And I've done... I've taught, and I've been on a lot of panels and, you know, stuff like that, but... Uh, yeah. I'm not thinking of it as an acting class. Though. I'm thinking of it as improv, thinking of being funny on my feet. Being funny on my feet with my mouth and my body rather than being funny on my feet in a writer's room or sitting in front of my laptop.